0: Let me invite you to open a Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to ultimately land today. You may say, well, that's not where we've been reading. We've been reading every word all year. And we we were in Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. That's right, that's right. We're going to land at the end of our time together today in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want us to have sort of a a mini-series within the the larger picture of every word all year. A mini-series just on how do you live with hope in exile, because here's my contention. My contention is that we all live in some state of exile pretty much all the time, somehow somehow, less than what God has in mind for us, somehow less than what God planned for us in the first place, less than what God would want to invest in us because, because I keep messing it up. And when it's not me messing it up, it's the people around me who are messing it up. And when it's not me or the people around me who are messing it up, it's the government that's messing it up or geopolitics that's messing it up or the economy that's messing it up. Somehow, life is almost always lived in some version of exile. How do you live with hope in exile? You say, Rusty, you're kind of reaching for straws here. Am I? Think about it. Think about it from those first couple of pages of scripture, you know, when this was good and that was good and all of a sudden God breathes in us and it's very good. From that time on, from the time the, from the, time the serpent lied, we've been living in a broken world. We've been living in a fallen world, a less than kind of world. And all the way to those last couple of pages of Scripture when finally it says the dwelling place of God is now with men and he will live with them and he will be their God and they will be his people. Everything in between is kind of broken, kind of fallen, kind of exile. So how do you live with hope? In the exile. Let me read you something. Let me read you something. You've got Hebrews chapter 11. We'll get there in just a minute. But let me read you something from Second Chronicles. It says this in our reading for this week. It says this, Second Chronicles chapter 36 verse 14. Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. And they followed the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion, had compassion on his people and on his temple. You remember how that goes, right? I mean, the way the Lord spoke to Moses at the burning bush, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I'm concerned about their suffering, and so I'm coming to their rescue. That's just how God rolls. He had compassion, he had compassion on his people, and he sent his prophets to warn them. He had compassion on his people and on his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God. And they despised their words and they scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. Does that sound familiar? Do you live with do you live with this sort of cloud over you that says God must be angry? Look at our world. God must be angry. Look at the way, look at the way life is unfolding. The Lord's anger could no longer be restrained. Nothing could be done. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity. On the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm, God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasuries from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. And then Nebuchadnezzar's army burned the temple of God. And they tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and completely destroyed everything of value. And the few who survived, I've got that underlined in my Bible, the few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon. And they became the servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. So one of the questions I want you to chew on and and, and try to wrap your mind around is, what is God up to in the meantime? What is God up to in the absence What is God at work to do? The land finally enjoyed that Sabbath rest that it was promised all those years ago that had never been given. What is God up to in the silence? What is God about in those moments? So let me invite you to think on this. Um, Have you ever experienced the absence of God? I know it's kind of a dumb question because you're alive, right? I mean, you you live in the same world I live in. Of course you've experienced the absence of God. In fact, probably if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it, you would tell stories about how the the more common experience that you have is more the absence of God than the presence of God. Your experience of God is probably every once in a while your relationship is punctuated by those moments that God shows up. Every once in a while, your relationship with God is punctuated by the times that God speaks in a way that you can hear and understand and hold on to, and that carries you through those long periods of silence, right? Have you ever experienced the absence of God? Have you ever been aware? Keenly aware of the absence of God? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm guessing there are probably some people in this room right now with a prayer that would say, Lord, in Jesus' name, if you're real, would you speak to me today? Because, Lord, I've waited, and I've waited so long, and I'm not sure how much longer I can hold on to hear from you. Ironically, ironically, (laughs) we've all had experiences of times when we wanted to be out of the presence of the Lord, those times, maybe just for a night, maybe just for a day, maybe just for a weekend, maybe maybe for spring break. Lord, would you just turn the other way for a little while? I'm on a road, and I know I'm not on the road that I need to be on. I know I'm not on the road that you've called me to. I know I'm not on the road that you're going to bless. But, Lord, ah, would, you just, would you just ignore the next 24 hours, Lord? Because we can catch up later. Confession, repentance, all that. Times when you would like to believe, even if just for a day, times when you would like to believe, even if just for a day, that God's really not paying that much attention to what's going on in your life. Times when you would like to believe, even if it's just for a weekend, that it just doesn't matter that much. That God just doesn't care. Oh, but you come to those times when the silence is deafening, the times when you would say, Lord, please show me that you care for me. Lord, please let me know that you know where I am. Lord, please let me know that you know what I'm going through. It's ironic, isn't it? But don't confuse God's silence for God's absence. 70 years, 70 years. It says this in Jeremiah. It's 70 years. You you know you know that line that talks about how How God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give you a future and a hope. But that's not how that line starts. That line starts by saying this. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon in exile for 70 years. You know what 70 years is? It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. There's a place in Scripture where it talks about the the period of a person's life. The years, three score and ten, that's 70 years. When he says you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, most of you have known something of having your life fingerprinted with exile for as long as you can remember. And and, and you fall into these agreements with the enemy of your soul, right Bryce? You fall into these, these patterns of thinking and, and, and the first time it comes up it feels false, it feels untrue. But then the enemy keeps whispering it in your ear until you sing along with the chorus. I'll never be happy again. When this happened, whatever this is, I'll never be happy again. My life will be marked with this sadness for as long as I live. Nothing good can come from this. Can I tell you the prayer that has turned a corner for so many people that I've talked to through the years in ministry? When finally someone comes to the place having had their heart ripped out of their chest by a divorce, having had their heart ripped out of their chest by a death of someone they love, having had their heart ripped out of their chest by by a miscarriage or by a, by a child who's and somehow on the other side of the pain, there comes a day, and maybe it's just maybe it's just this this slit in the clouds that lets just one ray of sunshine. And here's what they say, and you know a corner has turned. They say. If God could use my pain, what I've been through, to help even just one other person who's going through what I've been through. See, here's the deal. God is just too good to waste your pain. Our God is just too good to waste your pain. That line where it said, the land finally enjoyed all those Sabbath rests that had been stolen. What's God up to? in the silence? What's God up to in the exile? And how do we live with hope in the meantime? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give you a future and a hope. We've been reading Ezra and Nehemiah this week, right? Ezra goes back to the promised land. Ezra goes back to his homeland, and he's got the blessing of the king. He's got the resources, of the king. He's got everything he needs. He's got the articles of gold and silver. He's got, the, he's got the people to come alongside of him, and he begins to lay the foundation to rebuild the temple. Oh, man. Oh, man, our hope, our hope is in what God can do in the kingdom to come. Yeah, our hope. God, build the temple, build the temple. There's this crazy line. I don't know if you remember reading it in Ezra chapter 3 this last week. I don't know if you remember reading. When, when, when they began to lay the foundations of the temple and the people saw it and there was such rejoicing and there was such worship and the, 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 the cries of the worshipers were so loud and so long and it was incredible. But the people who had actually been there before and seen the glory of the former temple, they were weeping and they were wailing because nothing could compare to their memory and their expectation. You've ever had, have you ever had expectations of how your life was supposed to go? How your life was supposed to turn out? What God was supposed to do? And the reality never quite lives up to what's go, what was going on in your mind? And you don't know sometimes whether the the worshiping or the weeping is the real you. Here's the deal. If your hope is in what you can see and touch and taste and feel, you will always be living a what's next brand of Christianity. Oh Lord, what have you done for me lately kind of Christianity? Here's the truth. Most everybody in this room is so crazy blessed you don't even know what to do with it. We're all so crazy blessed, we don't even know how to interpret it, how to receive it all, how to give God credit and glory for all that he's done in our lives. But if we're not careful, we will fall into this temptation to live this what's next brand of Christianity, this what have you done for me lately kind of Christianity. Nehemiah had the same experience. Nehemiah comes back to build the walls because there's security in walls. There's there's safety in walls. We we build this place and we call this room a sanctuary, a place set apart for the safety and the security. And Lord, in Jesus' name, don't let the enemy touch us here. But there's nothing magic about this room. There's nothing magic about those walls. And before Ezra can even let the ink dry on the page, the people are right back into the same kind of presumptuous sin They got him exiled in the first place. Before Nehemiah can even finish getting the walls up and the doors set in place, the people have already fallen into the, what have you done for me lately kind of sin. You've got Hebrews 11, right? Let me go there with you. Hebrews chapter 11. Here's the deal, y'all. Here's the deal. This world was never intended to be my home. God said, eternity in my heart, yours too. And there's something in us that is never going to feel at home in this broken, fallen, empty world. There's something in us that is always going to look for more, look for better, look for different, and that itch will never be scratched until we see Jesus face to face. And that's why it says in Hebrews it talks about the people of God the great roll call of faith Hebrews chapter 11 it says by faith Abel and by faith Enoch and by faith Noah and Abraham by faith Sarah by faith by faith by faith you right by faith me and we're walking in faith and we're holding on to faith and we're praying lord in Jesus name would you give us a glimpse would you give us a taste Would you give us an aroma of heaven just to keep us holding on for what comes next? Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 13, it says, all these people died. Enoch and Abraham and Moses, Sarah, all these people. Have you ever ever prayed for somebody that you love that loves Jesus, right? Somebody that loves Jesus. And you've been praying, I mean really praying, and igniting all your intercessor friends to pray, pray, pray that this person that I love that loves Jesus won't die. And then they die. Somebody said one time if we prayed half as hard to keep sinners out of hell as we pray to keep saints out of heaven, we'd see the world reached for Jesus. Precious ones, here's the truth, here's the truth. All these people, good people, God's people, all these people died. And except for the trumpet, you and me will too. <laughs> and Paul knew enough to tell us ahead of time for me to live as Christ to die, well, that's going to be gain when that time comes because this world is not my home. This world was never my home. <laughs> All these people died, still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive it. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance, and they welcomed it. Here's my prayer. Here's my prayer that today, today would be a day, even, even just in these next few minutes, that the Lord could give us just enough of a glimpse Just enough of an aroma of eternity to keep us holding on. To keep us holding on. These all died. These all died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it, and they agreed with God. They agreed with God that they were foreigners and nomads, pilgrims and strangers here on earth to agree with God. It's a beautiful thing. To agree with God, to come to the place, to come to the end of yourself, to say, Lord, what I have always thought was true, but I'm seeing it not prove out. Lord, may I just, may I agree with you that my hope is in you and you alone. See, there was a time in my life when I was the age of some of you guys, there was a time in my life when it seemed like all my friends were getting married. And then, and then there came a time in my life when it seemed like all my friends, they were having, every time we'd get together, every time we'd get together, the conversation would be, who's pregnant now? And then there came a time in my life when all the conversation, when you first run into your friend you haven't seen in a while, so, so what's your, what are they going to do next after they graduate? What's, what's next? Now, all my friends that I, that I find myself, I come around and, and the conversation is always, have you had your heart attack yet? What hurts today? Is it your knees? Is it your back? What is it that hurts today? You know why that is? You know why we live in a world that is victimized by the second law of thermodynamics, where things just break down? You know why we live in a world like that? Because God wants us to never, ever forget this world is not my home. God wants us to never trade the kingdom for my kingdom that I can build here and now. These people did not receive in this life, in this life, all that was promised, but they saw it from a distance. They welcomed it. They, they agreed that they were foreigners and pilgrims and strangers, nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own, looking forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. You may have some people in your life some people in your life that you can't wait to see when you finally get to see face to face. People that you've loved who have died. Maybe even some people that you carried in your womb, but you never got to hold them in your arms. God whispered something in my ear recently about about those, those precious relationships of, of the babies that you don't get to meet. And maybe, maybe one of the things that you get to see when you get to see face to face is the rest of your family that you never got to breathe the same air with yet. Oh, precious ones, we, we, we know what it is to live in exile. We may not talk about it much, But we know what it is to live in a world that just doesn't quite live up to expectations, in a world that just doesn't quite work. We know what it is to live as strangers, aliens, pilgrims, nomads, always looking for my people, but never quite finding a home. So, what do you do with life in the meantime? What do you do? What do you do with the silence? Don't confuse God's silence for God's absence. What is God up to in the silence? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute? What is God up to in the silence? You may say, Rusty, I haven't heard from God in a while. And oh, if I could just, even if I, even if all I could hear was a whisper, I just long to hear from God. I just long to hear from God. I'm, I'm far too accustomed to the absence. And my heart just cries out to be known by God. To know him face to face. To know that I'm forgiven, that I'm his, that I belong.